All right, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, pick up at verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, <coughs> excuse me, and wells digged which thou diggest not, <coughs> vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Verse 12, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so uh, as he's going through ordinances and uh, feasts and memorials, and by the way, most of your Old Testament feasts and memorials were either to look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ or to celebrate God's redemption for them out of the land of Egypt and remind them of his goodness. And uh, in one particular case in the book of Deuteronomy, um, he even told them, he said, you know, your, your sons and daughters are going to say in days to come, what meaneth these things? And God meant those to be a touchstone of conversation between the parents and the children and the children who had not come out of Egypt and the, and the parents who understood those things. And so uh, we're reminded today that we need to be reminded. We're reminded today that we need to be reminded lest we forget. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I, I sometimes think back on get, when I was first saved, and it's always refreshing to bump into somebody and uh, talk, I just talked to somebody a little while ago here, uh, right here up in the front, and uh, he, he's recently got saved and God's changing his life, and it brings me back to those days as well. And I think it's a good idea every once in a while just to remember what the Lord delivered you from. And to rejoice in that, lest we forget. Lest we forget. Lest we get caught up in everything that's going on in our lives and forget all the great things the Lord has done to redeem us out of the land of Egypt, as he says right here. Um, Let's also take our Bibles and go to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about... Uh, God's deliverance from the hole of the pit, from the hole of the pit. I want you to take Ezekiel 16 in one hand and then back up a few pages and go to Isaiah 51 and take Isaiah 51 in another. And uh, we'll look at Isaiah 51 first here. We're going to take some time this morning and look back at some of the things that the Lord delivered us from. Some of the things the Lord delivered us from. Uh, I find if we keep fresh in our minds what God did for us in saving us, we'll be a thankful people, and it'll deliver us from murmuring and complaining and ultimately from bitterness. And truth be known, folks, that if you're saved here this morning, you're probably one of God's spoiled children. God has been so good to us, and yet sometimes we'll find reason to complain. 
we'll start complaining. We'll start complaining about uh, some prayer that didn't get answered, something we wanted that we didn't get. We might complain about the brethren, uh, uh, maybe complain to the Lord about the Lord himself. And uh, so what we need to do is be reminded, to be reminded of some things. And let's start out in Isaiah 51. We'll take a look there in verse 1. And the Bible says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Notice what he says. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. And then notice what else he says. Into the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. And uh, all of us here were stuck in, in the hole of a pit when the Lord found us. And we're going to look at nine of them. And uh, I'm sure all of us can identify with at least one, but most of us will identify with more than one. In many cases, many of these holes in these pits. Look what he says to him in verse 2. He says, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. See, what he's doing, he's rehearsing his goodness to them, lest they forget, because we have a tendency to do that, folks. And uh, verse 3, for the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody. And then let's go over to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, and so he tells us to look back to the hole of the pit from whence we were hewn, but God dug us out of a pit and delivered us. And Ezekiel chapter 16, the Lord talks about the birth of the nation of Israel, and uh, unfortunately, Israel's unthankfulness, but he says in verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, Caused Jerusalem to know her abominations. Now, they have been involved in idolatry and things that God hates. And uh, basically poking God in the eye with their unfaithfulness. And so what does he do? He reminds them of what he did for them. And reasons with them uh, on the basis of thankfulness. Can't you be thankful for what I've done for you? And I gave you all these things and blessings that you have, and you're turning and worshiping other gods as though they were the ones that gave you these things. And, and you can sense God's heartbreak in all of this. But if you'll notice, starting in verse 3, the Bible says, And say, Thus saith the Lord, Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother an Hittite. And uh, folks... Uh, if you're like me, you can relate to that right there. Um, I, I, don't have, I don't really have any spiritual pedigree per se. All right, now I know God's talking about natural pedigree here, but I don't have any spiritual pedigree, and that's how we apply this. And um, God's been so good to me. He's been so good to me. And he says here, he says, Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother an Hittite. And verse 4, And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, Neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And the idea here is an abandoned newborn infant. 
as though the little baby was born and then just cast off to the side. And God came and redeemed this little infant. And verse 6, And when I passed by thee, I saw thee polluted in thine own blood. And I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. And folks, that's a, that's a perfect picture of all of us before we were saved. That was our condition, like a helpless little newborn cast off to the side. And the Lord came by and scooped us up and loved on us and blessed us. Notice uh, also in verse uh, 15, notice in verse 15 of that same chapter, uh, notice their ingratitude. And, and lest we forget and become the same way, we need to remind ourselves of some things here in verse 15. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty and playedest the harlot because of thy renown and pourest out thy fornications on everyone that passed by. His it was. And throughout that chapter, uh, God goes through the idea that he, he espoused them and loved on them and bestowed upon them great gifts. And they took those things and squandered them on idols and on wickedness and literally poking God in the eye, as it were. And so we need to be reminded. Um, I think of a, a hole of a pit. I think of the Cherry Mine disaster in 1909 in Cherry, Illinois. And uh, one of the reasons this interests me is not only this, this context that we're looking at today, but also uh, some of my uh, folks, people come from that part of Illinois, central Illinois, outside of Peoria there, Toluca in particular, where my dad's mom's people come from, the Derubis family. And a lot of those people came from Italy and they ended up working in the mines because it was a job they could get. Even though they didn't speak English, they could work in those mines. And then some of them worked hard enough to buy pieces of land and things of that nature and get into farming or some went the other direction. They started out farming and ended up in the mines. But this particular disaster, uh, up until recent days, and still may be the case, was the worst mine disaster ever recorded in the United States of America here. And the mine was open in 1905, and it was to serve the uh, Milwaukee, uh, uh, Chicago-Milwaukee Railroad and provide coal for the, for the uh, coal-burning power plants. And it started, in 19, it started in 1905, and it was going strong for four years. And some of the interesting features about this mine was that it was considered state-of-the-art. They had all the latest technology. It was considered to be the safest mine anywhere in the United States. And yet in November, on a Saturday, with five, just under 500 men and boys some of them as young as 11 years old working down, that, down in that mine. Right around noontime, a, a, um, a, uh, a car full of, uh, come, down, come down the uh, elevator, uh, full of hay for some of the mules came down, and it got rolled underneath uh, a kerosene, a kerosene uh, torch that was mounted to the wall. And the reason they were using these kerosene torches is because a week prior, the electrical had gone out in the mines. There was a short. They hadn't fixed it yet. They were working on it. So they were back to using uh, the torches. And so this, this carload of, of hay sat under this torch and got soaked in kerosene. And finally, a spark ignited it. 
And, and that wasn't an unusual thing in the mines to have little fires. But for some reason, most of the men that were leaving, um, walking past it, ignored it, didn't bother to put it out. One thing led to another, and it led, led to becoming a massive, massive fire uh, throughout the entire mine. And, and a total of 259 men and boys lost their lives. And one of the interesting features about all this, in the midst of all this tragedy, was that there were 21 men that got stuck in the back of the mine for eight days. And they called them the eight-day men. And the, the great thing about it is 20 of them survived. The, the, one, the one of them, uh, he had a lot of asthma problems, and he ended up dying of complications later on. But they walled themselves in in a back corner of the mine and to keep themselves away from a gas that was called the black damp. And when there would be fires in the mines, there would be a combination of, of nitrogen and carbon dioxide that would get so thick that it literally turned into a poison. And they called that gas the black damp. And so they, they, they walled themselves up in a little corner and they, they sustained themselves through what little bit of bits and scraps of food they had and what little bit of water was leaking into the area that they were in and they waited it out. And finally, after eight days, they could take it no longer. They were dying of starvation and thirst. And, and so a couple of the men worked their way out of there and as they worked their way out of there and started crawling through the shaft, uh, some of a rescue crew came in and found them, and those were called the, the eight-day men, and those 20 survived. But I often think about uh, that tragedy. I think of uh, going down into a mine, especially since I'm claustrophobic. Um, I, 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 probably, I probably could have never worked that. I would have gone the farming route myself. But um, I think of the, the, what we, you and I were before we got saved. We were not unlike that, folks. We were not unlike that. We were trapped. In a, in a hole, in a mine that was on fire, we were in trouble, and except for God's rescue through Jesus Christ, uh, we would have been part of those statistics, that 259. So I want to talk about some of these holes, some of these pits, and the first one I want to talk to you about, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 16 is the hole of the pit of delusion. The whole of the pit of delusion. And I would venture to say that everybody here this morning and everyone looking in online would have to identify with this idea of being deluded and being stuck in that hole of that particular pit. And uh, most of us, our delusion uh, revolved around religion. It revolved around religion. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And uh, most of us were deluded into thinking we were good enough. We were good enough. We didn't need Jesus Christ. We didn't need that religious business. We didn't need this born-again stuff. We didn't need to become religious fanatics. Uh, we were good enough. We had our religion. We had our good works. Uh, we thought God was going to grade on a curve. We thought God was going to grade on a curve, and we'd be okay. I mean, after all, we hadn't killed anybody. We hadn't robbed any banks, so we were going to be okay. And it was like the Lord said in the book of Hosea. He said, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. 
uh, back in, in the mid-1800s in San Francisco, there was a successful businessman named Joshua Norton who declared himself to be America's emperor. And he really believed that. And he walked around with a sword and a plume and a colorful costume. And uh, finally, the town fathers started giving him free tickets to events and publicity and allowed him to collect small taxes. And you know what? That's how most of us are uh, as legends between our own ears. It's the only place we're really legends, amen, is between our own ears. And as far as self-righteousness to get to heaven, uh, that's as far as it goes. It works between people's ears, but it's not going to work in God's court. And we're not unlike this guy, Norton, who uh, thought we were something that we weren't. Uh, it is said in an ancient Indian proverb that the elephant, before drinking in the water, troubles the water with his feet in order that he may not see his own deformity. And that's the way we were spiritually. We were in the hole of the pit of delusion. Uh, folks, we thought we knew all the answers. We didn't even have the right questions. We didn't have the right questions. People think because uh, they're not as bad as some people and, and they think they're better than some, that they're doing okay. But the Bible says they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I mean, folks, we, we don't measure up. And, and if you think that this morning, then you're deluded. And you need to allow God to deliver you from the hole of the pit of delusion and, and take up God's estimation of your righteousness and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior so God can impute to, to you the righteousness of Christ and impute to Christ the, the penalty of your sins. Uh, otherwise, you'll remain in that hole of the pit of delusion. And by the way, uh, when somebody doesn't receive Christ, they awake to this truth too late. They awake to this truth too late. In Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says the dead that get cast into the lake of fire are judged according to their works. And so their whole lives as religious people, they've had confidence in the fact that their religious works will get them by. And what God does is he lays out their lives and shows them, shows them that they're not going to make it. It was literally their works that are going to damn them. Because again, God isn't going to be selective and take snapshots of your life. He's going to look at your life as a whole, and he doesn't grade on a curve. In fact, the standard is Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 2, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, Paul said, according to my gospel. If you want to get to heaven on your own righteousness, then you have to get to the standard of Christ himself which is an impossible standard for any of us. So the first hole uh, of the pit that God delivered us from in salvation is the hole of the pit of delusion. And I'm thankful this morning that even though there's, there's some things at the judgment seat of Christ that, that I'm probably going to weep over and, and be surprised at and, and suffer loss over, I will not have to stand at the great white throne judgment with a grand awakening that all of my sins are on me, and instead of being on my way to heaven, like I thought because I was religious, that I'm on my way to hell. I'm glad as a Christian that that's not going to happen to me. 
And if you're saved here this morning, you ought to thank the Lord for whoever brought you the gospel, whoever told you about Jesus Christ, whoever handed you a gospel track, to whoever preached the gospel to you, whoever Sunday school teacher brought you the gospel. Thank God for that person because they helped you become delivered from the hole of the pit. The Bible says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. You know who's responsible for all this spiritual delusion in this world? Satan. Jesus said he's a liar. And he's the father of lies. Uh, I don't know. If you ever start walking, uh, looking at the, uh, the headlines of the day and you see the lies and, and the twisting and the, and the deception that goes on, it's enough to make you mad sometimes. I mean, just literally drive you to madness thinking about it and looking at it. And one of the reasons for that is the world is giving itself over to the devil, and the devil is the god of this world. And Jesus said he's the father of lies, and he is a liar, and he has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And it's especially true with religious people. Uh, some 15 years before Gandhi died, he wrote this. He said, I must tell you in all humility that Hinduism as I know it entirely satisfies my soul. It fills my whole being and I find a solace in the Bhagavad Gita that I miss even in the Sermon on the Mount. But then, just before his death, Gandhi wrote this. He said, my days are numbered. I am not likely to live very long, perhaps a year or a little more. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the slough of despond. All about me is darkness. I am praying for light. You see, he had a religion that made him feel good about himself in life, but it wasn't going to cut it in death. When, when he was going to die and face God in judgment, it wasn't going to cut it. And so he needed light. He needed light. Well, the Bible tells us in John 8, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Uh, we're told in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 18, For thou wilt light my candle. Uh, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And Psalm 119, verse 104, the Bible says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I think of the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9, how symbolic that is of our salvation. God opening our eyes and realizing there's only two religions in this whole world. The religion of do and the religion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, done. Do and done. You hear people say sometimes, well, there's all these different religions and it gets me confused. All the man-made religions can fall under one short little word, two letters, the word do. 
All a man's religions say you are going to do something to get to heaven. You are going to work for it. You're going to join the church, the organization. You're going to get baptized. You're going to do good works. And then you will earn salvation that way. Now, how much it takes, nobody knows. Nobody ever has assurance about these things. But that's man-made religion, the religion of do. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the religion of done. Jesus Christ did it all on the cross. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And so the Bible says, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're delivered from the whole of the pit of delusion. And the Bible says, The entrance of thy words giveth life, it giveth understanding unto the simple. The Greek games uh, in, in Greece, called the Isthmian Games, which were the precursor to the Olympics, uh, had a little saying. They said, let them that have the torch pass it on. Let them that have the torch pass it on. You got the torch this morning? You got the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, then pass it on. Amen. Aren't you glad somebody told you? Let's be glad enough to tell somebody else. Amen. Man, I'll tell you what, if you, if you want an experience, go into our bookstore and buy the book called The Dying Words of Saints and Sinners. And it talks about people's last dying words, and in some cases, famous infidels, men like Voltaire and Paine and Rousseau, and, um, and then in some cases, great Christians and their last words. And, and this, a lot of them are recorded in a day before they would drug people up as they died. And very interesting. In fact, one nurse uh, back in the 1800s said, she said, for all the wealth in Europe, she said, for all the wealth in Europe, I would not be in the room for another infidel dying. She didn't want to be around an unbeliever dying anymore. She had seen too many horrible things. And um, folks, when we got saved, God pulled us out of the pit of delusion. And thank God this morning he did that. And, and by the way, don't take any credit for it this morning. Don't get a high and haughty opinion of yourself. Well, I know and these people don't. And what's the matter with them? What's the matter with them is they were like you were before you got saved. Amen. And what's the matter with them is they might need you to tell them how to be saved. Amen. Have some mercy on them and tell them how to get saved. All right. The whole of the pit of delusion. And let's take our Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, let's look at one more here this morning. Matthew chapter 18. I guess what I'm saying this morning is I'm glad I'm saved. I'm just glad to be saved this morning. All right. Matthew chapter 18 and look at verse 23. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. And he says in verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, somebody did a little calculation, and this is in uh, 1980s money, so it's, it's, it's going to be different. But just to give you a little idea what that means, that's about $3 million in today's dollars, probably closer to five. 
And uh, at that rate, at the rate of $3 million, to be able to pay it back would take $60,000 a year for 50 years, and that's without interest. That's without interest. And so he says, which owed him 10,000 talents, in verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, folks, this guy would have been happy just to buy some time. But the king didn't just give him that. He forgave the debt, completely wiped it off the books. And if you're saved here this morning, that's what God did with you. And, and folks, let me tell you something. $3 million in 1980s money was nothing compared to the debt you and I owe God for our sins. And so he forgave him that debt. So I want to talk for a few minutes on the whole of the pit of debt. And when I think of debt, I can't, I can't help but think of our national debt, which now gone into the tens of trillions of dollars. And uh, we got a lot of crazy people that think you can just keep printing money and spending money you don't have, and it's not going to catch up someday. But um, I think of that, and I think that my sin was worse than that debt right there. My sin was worse than that debt. And you know, debt is not a thing that God talks about in a positive way. You read the book of Proverbs especially, it talks about debt. And uh, the Bible says it's better to stay out of debt for sure than to get into debt for just about any reason. Someone once said before borrowing money from a friend, you'd better decide which you need more, the money or the friend. And uh, someone said about status, about the time you struggle up, even with the Joneses, they refinance. <laughs> so keeping up with the Joneses is an exercise in futility. But uh, someone once said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And uh, folks, uh, the interest was compounded and the debt was growing and we were earning the wages of sin every day because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? It's death. And uh, folks, it's easier the sin than most people realize. The Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. The Bible says a high look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. And I did a little quick calculation one time from the age of 7 to 70. Assuming you commit your first sin at the age of 7 and you live to be 70 and you have five thought sins a day, four speech sins a day, and one action sin a day. Now, some of, them not, some of us knock that off in one hour. But uh, assuming you have those 10 sins a day times all those days from the age of 70 to, 7 to 70, that means 229,950 sins. And truth be known, most of us are racked up a lot more than that. And God delivered us from the hole of that pit. I think of what David said here in Psalm chapter 40. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 12, he says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. He said, Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. And folks, if we take an honest look at our sinful condition without Jesus Christ, we'd have to come to the same conclusion this morning. And thank God that he delivered us from the hole of the pit of debt. 
And we were in debt to God, folks. The Bible says in James chapter 2, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and offend and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And so all it takes is one sin to keep you out of heaven. It only takes one crime to make you a criminal. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. When God saved us this morning, he delivered us from a great debt. A great debt. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. Peter says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't pay for your sins with currency, whatever that is. Uh, paper currency or silver or gold. Uh, we got people saying you got to have gold and silver when everything crashes. Uh, God says that won't buy your salvation. But notice verse 19. <clears throat> he goes on to say, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And there's the payment there, folks. That's what got you off the hook for that great debt. Jesus paid it all. We sing, all to him I know, I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Uh, we read about a jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25. And on the day of atonement, there was a time of redeeming that that which could not be redeemed by those that were in debt. And it was after seven Sabbaths of years, 49 years, the 50th year, corresponds with Pentecost. And God, God ordered those people to have a jubilee or a release of all debt, especially for those who could not pay. What a wonderful time that was. And there was a great blast of a trumpet there in Leviticus chapter 25. And folks, if you're saved here this morning, God took you through a wonderful, wonderful jubilee where the debt of your entire sin is taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says the only debt remaining now is that I am debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, uh, both to the wise and to the unwise, and that debt is a debt to preach the gospel to the lost. Okay, you were relieved of one great debt, and the debt you incurred as a result is a debt to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful salvation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for the salvation you gave us. And uh, Father, help us to be grateful enough to walk out away from this place today, telling others how to be saved and, uh, Lord, that they might receive uh, the wonderful pardon from the debt of sin that they owe God. And, uh, Father, from being delivered from the whole of the pit of delusion. Father, I know I was delusional before I got saved. And I know, Father, I owed you so much regarding my sin. I couldn't have paid it in ten lifetimes. And so for that, we're grateful this morning. And help us this morning to look back at what you've done for us and never forget Never want to return to our old sins. Never want to return back to Egypt in the old life again because of the great deliverance that you wrought in our lives. Father, you delivered us out of that burning mine, just like in, in, in Cherry, Illinois in 1909. 
Uh, Father, we were in big trouble. We were in big trouble, Lord, but you did a great service to us. You loved us. You gave us Jesus Christ. You gave us a wonderful redemption and we'll never be able to repay you. But Lord, we would by your grace, out of gratitude, give you praise and honor and glory. And Father, we would out of gratitude tell others about Jesus Christ as well. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and talk to, and turn to number 302, number 302, lead me to Calvary, number 302. God's kindness to us, and then again this morning. It's good. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for giving Pastor to Michael. 
those words which we need to hear again and again. The gospel. The recollection of your sufferings, Lord Jesus, but also your resurrection. We were all deluded. And I think, I know, sadly know, that we were happy with that delusion. Thank you for calling us, calling us to more than forgiveness, calling us to yourself. And now we leave here, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we, we pray in his name, and we thank you, Father. Amen.